Hello? Hey, it's a four-way. Is everybody on? Yeah, I'm here. What's up? Present. Oh my god, you're never gonna believe what I just heard. Bitch, we need to be in person for this one. I'm on my way. I'll grab the champagne. Perfect. See you guys in 10. Welcome back, toppers. Long time no talk. I know you're as excited as I am for today's episode. As you already guessed by today's title, we're going to be talking about a cult. Yes, sir. So, personally, I would like to um, think that I would never join a cult, but me fully knowing the person I am, um, I am very gullible. So, I like to think that I'm not gullible, but just open-minded, but I don't want to lie to myself, like I'm pretty gullible, but hopefully, not hopefully, I really don't see myself ever having been convinced, not ever having been, because thank God I have not, ever being, thank you, tense, ever being convinced to join a cult. I I don't think I would. I don't know. I was, still am a big believer, but I don't think that's a cult. I think that's just like, I mean, you know, we're all teenage girls at one point. Thank you. Anyway, moving on. While I was doing research on which cult I wanted to talk about, I came across Heaven's Gate. And some of it seemed familiar, like some of the story I had definitely heard before, but some of it definitely not, um, which was very intriguing to me. Like, I think we all know about Manson and Jim Jones. Like, they're, they're the OGs, you know? Like, everyone, if you're talking about cult, you know Manson and Jim Jones. But this one... A little less well-known, but still very popular. So that's the one that I picked. Before I get into the cult and what they believed and everything like that, let's talk about the people who started it all, the ones who made it all happen, the leaders of the cult. So um, I'm going to preface, I know that I'm already rambling. Typically, the episodes that we have on this podcast are pretty long. Um, I have... <laughs> How many pages is this? We know that I'm very, uh, uh, or not organized, like, um, I don't know what word to pick. OCD maybe? Not OCD. I like to be organized. I like to have notes. I like to be prepared. So for today's <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, six pages of notes about this cult. So it's probably going to be a long one. Grab a snack, grab a drink make sure it's alcoholic probably because you're alone with me today. Anyway, into the cult. Marshall Applewhite was the son of a presbyter. Oh my god, I already, I already pronounced the word wrong. I can't even read my handwriting. Marshall Applewhite was the son of a Presbyterian minister who began his journey into biblical prophecy in the early 1970s. After being fired from the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas, over an alleged relationship with one of his male students, he met Bonnie Nettles, a 44-year-old married nurse with an interest in the... the mm, honestly? Theosophy? I, I could have written it wrong, but the word I wrote is theosophy. So we're just going to go with that. In Theosophy and Biblical Prophecy in March 1972. The circumstances of their meeting is frequently argued as the specific way has never been confirmed. According to Applewhite's writings, the two met in a hospital where she worked while he was visiting a sick friend there. It has been rumored that it was a psychiatric hospital, but Nettles was substituting for another nurse working with premature babies in the nursery. Applewhite later recalled that he felt as though he had known Nettles for a long time and said that they 
had met in a past life. She told him their meeting had been already told to her by extraterrestrials, persuading him that he has a divine assignment. So we're already already off to a rocky start a little bit with this uh, little blossoming relationship. This is already where they lost me. The fact that this man went along with her saying that, like, come on, dude. If someone came up to me and said that sh- and said that shit, I would smile, nod my head, and then run. Run. Like, what? Someone tells you aliens said you were going to meet them and do great things together? Honey, I love the positive vibes, but disagree with the origin. <laughs> thank you. No. No, thank you. Don't get me wrong. I fully believe there are aliens out there. If you think in this whole giant universe we're the only living beings, I don't know what word to say without coming off rude but that's just very misinformed. But do you think these aliens would come down, have some tea with nettles saying, you're gonna meet this guy and start a cult and then kill them all? Um, no, thank you. That's a no for me, chief. All right, anyway, moving on. Applewhite and Nettles pondered the life of St. Francis of Assisi and read works by authors including Helena... Jesus Christ, I can't... We know I can't read, let alone people's names. Blavatsky, R.D. Lang, and Richard batch but batch i think it's batch b-a-c-h batch they kept a king james bible with them and studied several passages from the new testament Appleway also read science fiction including works by robert a heinlein and arthur c clark by june 19th Appleway and nettles beliefs had solidified into a basic outline they concluded that they had been chosen to fulfill biblical prophecies and that they had been given higher level minds than other people They wrote a pamphlet that described Jesus' reincarnation as a Texan, a thinly veiled reference to Applewhite. They concluded that they were the two witnesses described in the book of Revelation and occasionally visited churches or other spiritual groups to speak to their identities, often referring to themselves as the two or the UFO two. They believed they would be killed and then restored to life and in view of others transported into a spaceship. This event which they referred to as the demonstration, was to prove their claims. To their dismay, the, to their dismay, these ideas were poorly received by existing religious communities. I wonder why. Listen, 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 listen. I think it's great that you have a good mindset thinking that you're special and everything. Like, everyone should find themselves in a positive mindset. Good for you, honestly. But there's a limit to everything, you know, like, I, I cannot, the fact that these two found each other and then, you know, there's a pot for every lid. Oh my God, am I grandma? Why did I say that? Jesus Christ. The two would gain their first follower, Sharon Morgan, in May 1974, who abandoned her children to join them. A month later, Sharon left the two and returned to her family. I mean, at least she... At least she eventually got her shit together. Come on, Sharon. You're gonna leave your family for that shit? Jesus. Nettles and Applewhite were arrested and charged with credit card fraud for using Morgan's cards, despite the fact that she had consented to their use. Girl, why? Why? Why would you let these two people use your freaking credit card? Oh my god. They probably eBay. (laughs) Let me search UFOs. Why am I laughing? That's something I would do. Anyway, whatever. (laughs) Ignore that. 
The charges were later dropped. However, a routine check brought up that Applewhite had stolen a rental car from St. Louis nine months earlier, which he was still in possession of. Applewhite subsequently spent six months in jail, primarily in Missouri, and was released in early 1975 and rejoined Nettles. Eventually, Applewhite and Nettles decided to try to contact extraterrestrials, and they searched for like-minded followers. They published advertisements for meetings where they recruited disciples whom they called the crew. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said a joke in my head, but we're just going to move past it because it was not funny. Okay. At the event, <laughs> at the events, they were reported to represent beings from another planet, the next level, who sought participants for an experiment. They stated that those who agreed to take part in the experiment would be brought to a higher evolutionary level. In April 1975, during a meeting with a metaphysical group of 80 people led by Clarence Klug in Joan Culpepper's Studio City, Los Angeles home, they shared their simultaneous revelation that they had been told they were the two witnesses written into the Bible story at the end of time. While accounts of the meeting differ, all agreed that Applewhite and Nettles presented themselves as charismatic leaders with an important spiritual message. Between 23 and 27 individuals decided to join the group as a result of the meeting. They would have to be charismatic for, oh my god, for 23, between 23 and 27 people to decide to just follow you after that's what you say, you have to be charismatic. There's no other, like... You didn't have the facts, so you have to have the charisma, you know, you have to have one or the other. Oh my god. I, I'm just, I'm pondering this. I can't, I cannot. I can't believe it. I shouldn't be laughing. These people definitely had a mental illness. I should not be making fun of them. But at the same time, the fact that so many people, like, went along with it, insane. Insane. I mean, clearly that's what they mean when confidence is key, people. You could say the stupidest thing, but as long as you're confident, most people will believe you. Like, for example, when I'm driving around with someone and they ask me where they're going, I'm like, like I'm freaking Google Maps or something. I just say left or right with confidence and they listen to me and then they blame me when we get lost. Like, you listened to me in the first place. I never said I knew where we were going. You know as much as me. Anyway, in September 1975, Applewhite and Nettles preached at a motel hall in Waldport, Oregon. I, if I pronounce any of these names or locations wrong, just ignore it because I'm doing my best. After selling all worldly possessions and saying farewell to loved ones, around 20 people vanished from the hotel and from the public eye and joined the group. Later that year, on CBS Evening News, Walter Cronkit, Cronk, I don't know, we're just going to call him Walter. Walter reported on the disappearances in one of the first national reports on whether they've been taken on a so-called trip to eternity or simply been taken. In reality, Applewhite and Nettles had arranged for the group to go underground. From that point, Doe and T, as the two called themselves, Doe and T, okay, led the nearly 100, 100 member crew across the country sleeping in tents and sleeping bags, and begging in the streets. Evading detection by the authorities and media enabled the group to focus on Doe and T's doctrine, 
and of helping members of the crew achieve a higher evolutionary level above human, which they claim to have already reached. Applewhite and Nettles used a variety of aliases over the years, notably Bo and Peep and Doe and T. Honestly, I'm going to give them a C- minus for the name creativity. <laughs> Come on, you could you could do so much. There's so many other, so many other great duo names. I would have even respected the basic Bonnie and Clyde more than that. Like Doe and T. Come on, no, and thank you. The group also had a variety of names prior to the adoption of the name Heaven's Gate. It was known as Human Individual Metamorphosis, or Him. The group reinvented and renamed itself several times and had a variety of recruitment methods. Applewhite believed he was directly related to Jesus, meaning he was an evolutionary kingdom level above human. I mean, did he take an ancestry me test and find that out? Because I'm finding it a little hard to believe that you were related to Jesus. Whatever. Okay. How did they have 100 people follow them? Like, how? In April 1976, the group stopped recruiting and became reclusive and instituted a rigid set of behavioral guidelines, including banning sexual activities and use of drugs. Applewhite and Nettles also solidified that they represented the sole temporal and religious authority of the group. Benjamin Zeller described the movement as having transformed from a loosely organized social group to a centralized religious movement comparable to the roving monastery. Some sociologists agree that the popular movement of alternative religious experience and individualism found in collective spiritual experiences during the period helped contribute to the growth of the new religious movement. I cannot pronounce this word. Sheliaism? Sheliaism? Whatever. As it became known, was a way for people to merge their diverse religious backgrounds and join around a shared generalized faith, which followers of new religious sects like Applewhite's crew found a very appetizing alternative to traditional beliefs in Judaism, Catholicism, and Christianity. Many of Applewhite and Nettles' crew hailed from these very diverse backgrounds. Most of them are described as re- by researchers as having been longtime truth seekers or spiritual hippies who had long since believed in attempting to find themselves through spiritual means, combining faiths in a sort of cultural melting pot well into the mid-1980s. However, remarkably, many of those same researchers Note that not all Applewhite's crew were hippies, recruited from alternative religious backgrounds. In fact, one such recruit early on was John Craig, a respected Republican and ranch owner who came close to winning a 1970 Colorado House of Representatives race, who joined the group in 1975. As recruit numbers grew in its pre-internet days, the clan of UFO followers all seemed to have in common a need for communal belonging in an alternative path or higher experience without the constraints of institutionalized faith. Identifying themselves, using the business name Higher Source, and using their website to convert or recruit followers beginning in the early 1990s, rumors began spreading throughout the group in the following years that the upcoming comet, Hail, I don't know if it's Bop? I think it's Hail Bop. It's Hale-B-O-P-P, so I'm assuming it's pronounced Bop. <laughs> so the comet Hale-Bop housed the secret to their ultimate salvation and ascent into the kingdom of heaven. So that's the whole history and background on how the cult came to, like, how it came to be. Before we get into the sad ending of the group, 
I'm going to talk about what they exactly like believed in and the joining slash membership process, if that makes sense. So we're just going to, we're going to cut this up into little sections. So you're now entering section two of this crazy ass story. If you're still listening, props to you. I'm tangled in these cords. Give me a moment. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. I need to get a more comfortable chair. I can't do this shit anymore. Okay. Section two. The group was only open to adults over the age of 18. Thank God. Thank God. Members gave up their possessions and lived a highly abstinence life, avoiding many indulgences. Okay, wait. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna interject right there. If anyone ever tells you you have to give up all of your shit, run, run, run. I think it's beautiful that some people believe in and participate in the act of minimalism, but personally... I cannot. I love shit. I love, (laughs) I love buying shit. I love having shit. Like, I will never be a minimalist. I just cannot. But if you don't want to voluntarily give up all your shit, don't do it. That's a red flag. It's not a club if they make you give up your stuff. That's a cult. Thank you. Welcome to my TED Talk. The group was tightly knit and everything was commonly shared. In public, each member of the group always carried only a $5 bill and one roll of quarters. Eight of the male members of the group, including Applewhite, voluntarily, keyword, voluntarily underwent castration as an extreme means of maintaining the abstinence lifestyle. The group initially attempted castration by having one of its members, a former nurse, perform the castration, but this initial attempt was very unsuccessful, almost resulting in the patient's death and caused at least one member to leave Heaven's Gate. I wonder who that member was. Was it the member that the janky castration happened on? People? None of these were red flags for these people? None? Oh, God. Every castration that followed, this initial one, was done in a hospital. Thank God. The group earned revenues by offering professional website development for paying clients under the business name Higher Source. As of July 2021, the group's website is still online, 24 years after the mass suicide, which I will link in the description of this episode if I am able to find it, because I am also very interested. I want to look at this website. Is it on LinkedIn? Can I apply? Because I'm trying to work from home, baby. Can I work on their website? (laughs) No? Okay. Um, I won't quit my job. According to Heaven's Gate, once the individual has perfected himself through the quote-unquote process, there were four methods to enter or quote-unquote graduate to the next level. Number one, physical pickup onto a telespacecraft and transfer to a next-level body aboard that craft In this version, what Professor Zeller calls a UFO version of the rapture, an alien spacecraft would descend to Earth and collect Applewhite, Nettles, and their followers, and their human bodies would be transformed through biological and chemical process to perfect beings. This and other UFO-related beliefs held by the group have led some observers to categorize the group as a type of UFO religion. Number two. 
natural death, accidental death, or death from random violence. Here, the graduating souls leave the human container for a perfected next-level body. Number three, outside persecution that leads to death. After the deaths of the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, and the events involving Randy Weaver and Ruby Ridge, Applewhite was afraid the American government would murder the members of Heaven's Gate. Number four, willful exit from the body in a dignified manner. Near the end, Applewhite had a revelation that they might have to abandon their human bodies and achieve the next level as Jesus had done. This occurred on March 22nd and 23rd when 39 members died by suicide and quote-unquote graduated. I want to know, did this man and woman, did this pair, this duo, Doe and T, did they actually believe in what they were saying or were they like getting like a weird power trip off of people like listening and following their every word like do you think they actually thought that they would mm, teleport i guess that's the word like they would wake up on a spacecraft looking beautiful in these perfect bodies did they actually believe that i don't know i don't know <laughs> i don't know the exact beliefs of the group are argued by many scholars. Initially, the group had been told that they would be biologically and chemically transformed into extraterrestrial beings and would be transported with their bodies aboard the spacecraft that would come to Earth and take the crew to heaven, referred to as the next level. When Bonnie, aka T, died of cancer in 1985, it confounded the group's doctrine because Nettles was allegedly chosen by the next level to be a messenger on Earth. Yet her body died, and instead of leaving physically to outer space, the belief system was then revised to include the leaving of consciousness from the body as equivalent to leaving Earth on a spacecraft. The group declared that they were against suicide, as they defined suicide in their own context to mean, quote, to turn against the next level when it was being offered, quote, and believed their human bodies were only vehicles meant to help them on their journey. Suicide, therefore, would not be allowing their consciousness to leave their human bodies to join the next level. Remaining alive instead of participating in the group's suicide was considered suicide of their consciousness. In conversation, when referring to a person or a person's body, they routinely used the word vehicle. The members of the group gave themselves three-letter names with the suffix adi that they adopted in lieu of their original given names, which defines children of the next level. Immediately, why when I said that, I thought of the song body, adi, 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 okay. Anyway, no one cares. This is mentioned in Applewhite's final video, Doe's Final Exit, filmed March 19th and 20th of 1997, just days prior to the suicide. They believed that to be eligible for membership in the next level, humans would have to shed every attachment on the planet. This meant all members had to give up all human-like characteristics such as their family, friends, sexuality, individuality, jobs, money, and possessions. Um, if I can find that final video, the final exit video, I will also link that in the bio for you. You're welcome. The evolutionary level above human, also known as Tela, was as a physical, corporal place. 
another world in our universe where residents live in pure bliss and nourish themselves by absorbing pure sunlight. At the next level, beings do not engage in sexual intercourse, eating, or dying, the things that make us mammal here. Heaven's Gate believed that what the Bible calls God is actually a highly developed extraterrestrial. Members of Heaven's Gate believed that evil space aliens called Luciferian, Luciferians, Luciferians, I think, Luc- Luciferians, falsely represented themselves to earthlings as God and considered to keep humans from developing. Technically, advanced humanoids, these aliens, have spacecraft, space-time travel, telepathy, and increased longevity. They use holograms to fake miracles. Carnal beings with gender, they stopped training to achieve the kingdom of God thousands of years ago. Heaven's Gate believed that all existing religions on earth had been corrupted by these malevolent aliens. Malevolent? Malevolent? I think I'm saying that word wrong. It's not sounding right in my head. Is it malevolent? I need a nap. Although these basic beliefs of the group stayed generally consistent over the years, the details of their ideology were flexible enough to undergo modifications over time. There are examples of the groups adding to or slightly changing their beliefs, such as modifying the way one can enter the next level, changing the way they describe themselves, placing more importance on the idea of Satan, and adding several other New Age concepts. One of these concepts was the belief of extraterrestrial walk-ins. When the group began... Applewhite and Nettles taught their followers that they were extraterrestrial beings. However, after the notion of walk-ins became popular with the New Age subculture, the two changed their tune and began describing themselves as extraterrestrial walk-ins. The idea of walk-ins is very similar to the concept of being possessed by spirits. A walk-in can be defined as an entity who occupies a body that has been vacated by its original soul. Heaven's Gate came to believe an extraterrestrial walk-in is a walk-in that is supposedly from another planet. The concept of a walk-in aided Applewhite and Nettles in personally starting from what they considered to be clean slates. In this so-called clean slate, they were no longer considered by members of the Heaven's Gate group to be people they had been prior to the start of the group, but had taken on a new life. This concept gave them a way to erase their human personal histories as the histories of souls who formerly occupied the bodies of Applewhite and Nettles. Over time, Applewhite also revised his identity in the group to encourage the belief that the walk-in that was inhabiting his body was the same one that had done so to Jesus 2,000 years ago. Similar to Nestorianism, this belief stated that the persona of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus were separable. This meant that Jesus was simply the name of the body of an ordinary man that held no sacred properties that was taken over by an incorporeal sacred entity to deliver next level information. Okay, I didn't see that version of The Conjuring, but we'll go with it. Another New Age belief Applewhite and Nettles adapted was the ancient astronaut hypothesis. The term ancient astronauts is used to refer to various forms of the concept that extraterrestrials visited Earth in the distant past. Applewhite and Nettles took part of this concept and taught it as the belief that aliens planted the seeds of current humanity millions of years ago and have to come to reap the harvest of their work in the form of spiritually evolving individuals who will join the ranks of flying saucer crews. 
Only a select few members of the humanity will be chosen to advance to the transhuman state. The rest will be left to wallow in the spiritually poisoned atmosphere of the corrupt world. Only the individuals who chose to join Heaven's Gate, follow Applewhite and Nettle's belief system, and make the sacrifices required by membership would be allowed to escape human suffering. <sighs> that was a lot. <laughs> now that you know the beliefs and journey you had to take to achieve these beliefs, let's talk about how the group came to an end. In October 1996, the group began renting a large home, which they called the Monastery a 9,200-square-foot mansion located in California. They paid $7,000 per month in cash. 7000 That's for rent, even in California. In 1996, think of inflation, baby. It's a lot more now. That's a lot of money, and they're doing it in cash. That's sus, Okay. In the same month, the group purchased alien abduction insurance that would cover up to 50 members and would pay out $1 million per person. The policy covered abduction, impregnation, or death by aliens. Who is Jake? Jake from State Farm. Is that you selling them that insurance? Flo, guys, stop scamming these people. They don't need that. Who sold that insurance to them? Prior to this, in June 1995, they had purchased land near Manzano, Manzano, I don't know, New Mexico, and had begun work creating a compound out of rubber tires and concrete, but had left abruptly in April 1996. On March 19th and 20th of 1997, Marshall Applewhite taped himself in Doe's final exit, speaking of mass suicide and, quote, the only way to evacuate this Earth, end quote. After asserting that a spacecraft was trailing Comet Hale-Bopp and that this event would represent the closure to Heaven's Gate, Applewhite persuaded 38 followers to prepare for ritual suicide so their souls could aboard the supposed craft. Applewhite believed that after their deaths, an unidentified flying object would take their souls to another level of existence above human, which he described as being both physical and spiritual. Their preparations included each member videotaping a farewell message. If I can find any of those, I will also link them below. I'm going to link as much as I can find. Okay. To kill themselves, members took phenobarbital? Phenobarbital? Phenobarbital. That's what we're going to go with. Mixed with applesauce, or pudding and wash it down with vodka. Additionally, they secured plastic bags around their heads after ingesting the mix to induce asphyxiation. All 39 were dressed in identical black shirts, sweatpants, and brand new black and white Nike shoes and armband patches reading Heaven's Gate Away Team. Each member had on their person a $5 bill and three quarters in their pockets. According to former members, this was standard for members leaving the home for jobs and a humorous way to tell us they all had left the planet permanently. The $5 bill was for covering the cost of vagrancy laws and the quarters were for calling home from a payphone. Once a member was dead, a living member would arrange the body by removing the plastic bag from the person's head, following by 
posing the body so that it would lay neat on its bed with faces and torsos covered by a square purple cloth for privacy. In an interview with Harry Robinson, the two surviving members said that the identical clothing was used as a uniform for the mass suicide to represent unity, whilst the Nike shoes were chosen because the group got a good deal on, quote, this is a quote, got a good deal on the shoes, end quote. Nike, Nike, Nike. I didn't know you had coupons. Applewhite was also a fan of Nikes, clearly, and therefore everyone was expected to wear and like Nikes within the group. That's a weird role. That's a weird role. Heaven's Gate also had a saying within the group, just do it, using Nike slogan, but pronouncing do as do to reflect Applewhite's nickname. Honestly, it's kind of clever. It's kind of clever. We'll give that a B for creativity. The 39 victims, 21 women and 18 men between the ages of 26 and 72, are believed to have died in three groups over three successive days, with remaining participants cleaning up after each prior group's death. The suicides occurred in groups of 15, 15, and 9 between approximately March 22nd and March 26th. Among the dead was Thomas Nichols, brother of actress Nichelle Nichols, who is best known for her role as... I'm sorry to all Star Trek fans. I don't know how to pronounce the name. Her role as... Ura? 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 It's U-H-U-R-A. Don't know what that name is. In the original television series of Star Trek, leader Applewhite was the third to last member to die. Two people remaining after him were the only ones to be found with bags over their heads and not having purple cloths covering their top halves. Before the last of the suicides, similar sets of packages were sent to numerous Heaven's Gate-affiliated or formerly-affiliated individuals and at least one media outlet. The BBC department responsible for Lewis Thorax's weird weekends for which Heaven's Gate had earlier declined participation. Among those in the list of recipients was Rio D'Angelo. The package D'Angelo received on the evening of March 25th as the other packages sent, sent had contained two VHS tapes, one with Doe's final exit and the other with the farewell messages of group, for, of group followers. It also contained a letter stating that, among other things, we have exited our vehicles just as we entered them. Upon informing his boss of the contents of the package, D'Angelo received a ride from him from Los Angeles to Heaven's Gate home in Rancho Santa Fe so he could verify the letter. D'Angelo found a back door intentionally left unlocked to allow access and used a video camera to record what he found. After leaving the house, D'Angelo's boss, who had waited outside, encouraged him to make calls to authorities, alerting them to his discovery. The San Diego County Sheriff's Department received an anonymous tip through the 911 system at 3.15 p.m. on March 26, suggesting they, quote, check on the welfare of the residents, quote. Days after the suicides, this caller was revealed to be D'Angelo. This is the conversation that was had with 911. Caller. Yes, I need to report an anonymous tip. Who do I talk to? Sheriff's Department. Okay, this is regarding what? Caller. This is regarding a mass suicide and I can give you the address. The single deputy who first responded to the call entered the home through the side door, saw 10 bodies, and was nearly overcome by a Puget odor. 
The bodies were already decomposing in the hot California spring. After a cursory search by two deputies found no one alive, both retreated until a search warrant could be procured. All 39 bodies were ultimately cremated. News on the 39 deaths in Rancho Santa Fe motivated the copycat suicide of a 58-year-old man living near Marysville, California. The man left a note dated March 27th, which said, I'm going to the spaceship with Hale Bop to be with those who have gone before me, and imitated some of the details of the Heaven's Gate suicide as they had been reported in the media up to that point. The man was found dead by a friend on March 31st and had no known connection to the Heaven's Gate. At least three former members of Heaven's Gate ultimately died by suicide themselves in the months after the mass suicide event. On May 6, 1997, Wayne Cook and Chuck Humphrey attempted suicide in a hotel in a manner similar to that used by the group. Cook died and Humphrey survived this attempt. Another former member, James Pickery Jr., died by suicide by a self-inflicted gunshot wound on May 11th. Humphrey, who had survived the first suicide attempt, ultimately killed himself on, in Arizona in February 1998. Two former members, Mark and Sarah King of Phoenix, Arizona, operating as the Tele Foundation, are believed to maintain the group's website. So that's everything I have on Heaven's Gate Cult. It was a wild ride, to say the least. Um, like I said, every website and video I mentioned in the story, I'll try to find the link in, and put it in the description um, for this episode so you can check them out if you want to look further into the story. Personally, I think cults are really sad. It normally seems like a bunch of people that are just looking for something in life they lack or for a purpose. Yeah, it's just, it's sad. I know I was laughing, chuckling, you could say, during some parts of that. It's just because, I guess, not that I'm saying I'm in the right state of mind. I have my own issues, thank you. But it just seems, not crazy, I don't want to say the word crazy. It seems far-fetched for me to, trying to think of my words, for me to fathom that people believed this, but I guess it it's, it's whatever mindset you're in, you know, wherever you're at in life, I guess you can be convinced of really anything. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for listening. Please don't join a cult and I'll see you next week.